Welcome back to the Doctor Who Flashcast. It is Season 13, Flux, Village of the Angels. I am Jason Snell, and I'm joined to talk about um, whew, quite an episode with two guests this week. Anthony Johnston is here. Anthony, welcome. Pendle Hill does not figure in this episode. <laughs> no, it doesn't, but there are plenty of uh, old graveyard statues, which we have many of as well. Mm, that's good. That's good. And uh, also rejoining the Flashcast is Human Sadri. Welcome back. Hi, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Well, you two uh, are joining me for uh, quite an episode. <laughs> um, this yeah. is uh, there was a lot of buzz that this was going to be a big one, and uh, I, I'm I have to admit I'm a little bit at a loss of how to get my arms around. Like, lots of things happen in this episode because there's a lot, but of nothing action. is resolved, and yeah. and yeah. and in and some things are learned, but nothing is resolved. And so there's a there's a real challenge here. Um, so let's start with the part that I can get my arms around a little bit, which is we check in with our favorite uh, Northern Irish space lady, Belle, um, who who has uh, who has come down to the planet of canals, sort of a galactic Venice named Pisano. Um, but the canals are gone and everybody is jumpy. Uh, this guy, this dude tells her, but that there's a cool place where the, where people come to get, get them to safety. And I, I immediately thought to myself, oh, that's not good. Right. Like yeah. a cool person <laughs> exactly. is going to lead us to safety. And of course, guess what? It's, uh, Azure. Um, and, uh, that's not so great. And, uh, she brings the passenger out and uh and that's when bell says wait did she say passenger oh this is real bad that's like a prison uh it's we got run away and um and only the one she sort of drags the one uh dude away uh hippie dude and and to, to safety um and he's furious with her because he thinks that she's just prevented him from being saved by azure and the passenger and uh they said oh don't worry we'll be back promises azure and they disappear and then uh later in maybe doctor who's first official mid-credits sequence um we see that uh that our friend vinder who is looking for bell um because they are separated lovers uh has arrived at the planet and the guy basically says i think she saved my life and also she left you a hologram which basically says i'm okay and you can find me at and that's uh that's so that's that segment of the story bell uh vendor their their search for one another um and uh also just a reminder of who the baddies are in this season which is azure and her her brother swarm and uh and the passenger what do we yeah, think about I, this part i, I want to know more about i hope we get to learn more about bell and where she comes from because she seems to know an awful lot mm -hmm. about what has happened and there's no explanation for how she knows all these things so i also i i have a real bugbear about people who uh, people in fiction who know that they have limited time for recording and don't immediately front load the most important information mm -hmm. at the start of the message that really does my nut <laughs> But also, surely, if it's you know some kind of futuristic, clever hologram program, it's something that is re-recordable. Oh no, because she explicitly says well, she only has one go at recording it. She says oh God, yeah, that she no. does that's say a, that at the that, start of the that's recording. That's a limitation that's there specifically <laughs> but still, yeah. for what they do at the end. I mean, I I laughed at it because it's ridiculous. Oh but sure, yes, I yeah, agree. It's but, ridiculous. Yeah. It's uh, there. So this is uh, interesting because we were just introduced to her. 
uh, last week, and we don't really know how she connects other than that she's looking for Vinder. Um, I'm always hesitant to talk about... I'm not sure how to address fan theories on this podcast because because they're not spoilers unless they're right. <laughs> I, this is if you're talking about the fan theory, I think you're talking about. I really hope it's not right. Yeah, so I'm going to mention uh, it here. You could forward a couple of minutes if you don't want to hear a theory, but I, I can I, also can have- I forward a couple of minutes? <laughs> I was going to say I have. You, you mentioned at the start that this was there was a lot of buzz that yeah. this was going to be an important episode. I am on not a very sort of you know harshly regimented. But nevertheless, a f- pretty much full media blackout about this series. I'm not seeking out any information about it, and very little is coming to me. Our fan so theories information, though. That's the question. Yeah, well, you know, that's, that's all right. Well, that's the thing, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to drop the fan theory here. Maybe we'll leave a little space at the end for a conspiracy corner. But um, <laughs> I'll just say there are some theories about how Bell and Vinder fit into this storyline that are wild, and I, I, I love how wild they are while also not wanting them to be true. So if that, if that makes any sense, I, I, I appreciate I that. the creativity yeah, yeah. that went, goes into spinning ways that they might fit in, but I, I actually hope that those theories are wrong <laughs> so i am right there with you <laughs> but uh <laughs> we'll see i'm i'm I, I guess i could add a third point there which is i hope they're wrong i'm afraid they might be right but uh i i hope they're wrong well i mean they've got to have some kind of connection haven't they because it's this is clearly that sort of series i mean you've talked yeah. about this on previous episodes of the flashcast this is very much treating doctor who well like a modern streaming series you know with a single story arc but it strikes me that it's also not that dissimilar to how doctor who used to be mm-hmm. when you know when the age when we were kids it was every story was like a four or a six part serial yes the episodes were shorter yes the whole thing was slower so there was probably a much lower sort of total amount of story if you can you know measure things in story units um <laughs> but nevertheless it's not that dissimilar to you know the old tom baker's uh right. series or the old colin baker series or whatever um and i think this season shows why those worked and why they were popular and why it's a good format for doctor who because this is i mean i'm generally seeing you know a general reaction from people is seems to be uh, that a lot of people are enjoying this more than they've enjoyed Who in a long time. I'm certainly not enjoying it any less, and I appreciate the fact that we have a complex, finite story with all these different strands. And yes, things like Bell and Vinda, you assume, therefore, are going to be tied in right. deeply somehow. They're not just going to be incidental characters who wandered in, have an adventure, and then we never never see them again, and they aren't important to the resolution because it's just not that kind of story we've been talking this season a lot about um with uh, on the flashcast about um doctor who formats and like you said anthony and um and i actually this season has really gotten me to rethink my conception of modern doctor who in the sense that i am still you know high on <laughs> russell t davis's choices in 2005 to make doctor who feel like a modern tv show in the sense that it's an hour long episode and they're mostly standalone and it it's like an episode of of buffy or something like that where which was one of his models and it means that you have an ongoing storyline uh that's touched on across the season but there are also individual episodes except it's 2021 and that's not 
yeah, modern that was 16 TV years anymore. ago. And this is. And I, and and for those who complain about like that it's only six episodes, I, I do worry that maybe the future of Doctor Who is much shorter seasons. But even if they got more episodes, I think you could argue that they'd be better off telling two five par- part stories released six months apart rather than um, mm. than one one uh, you know ten episode season or thirteen episode season or like they used to do. I think maybe having these bigger stories. Um, with room for episodes like this that are kind of self-contained while also not. Um, the Centauran episode was like that too. I think uh, it does feel much more, it's a, it, it is a throwback to the old Doctor Who, but also uh, in a context of a modern uh, streaming show where the whole thing is uh, fit together directly and uh, every, you know, it's telling one story. And when you get to the end, presumably, we don't know, we have to take it on faith for a little while longer. Presumably all the pieces will fit more or less. Mm. Although I wonder if, I wonder if, uh, if it will. Yeah. Uh, I mean, part, part of me suspects. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, this season uh, ends right at the beginning of December. Uh, and then we are going to have a, a special, at least in January, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Probably it'll be another New Year one. It is. Uh, one suspects that uh, Flux is going to be a little bit more than a six-part story. Maybe it won't be called Flux. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if episode six of this ends on a cliffhanger. I'm well I'm a little concerned about that too although my my bet will be again speculation here my my bet is will be will be that the big issue of flux will be resolved but the larger issue probably about the doctor and the doctor's identity will not and will push yeah. forward into yeah. the specials next year that's that's exactly what I'm expecting as well yeah because this whole I mean the whole business with the division that was set up in the last, was it the last season of Chimnall's yes. one? It yeah. was, wasn't it? Yeah. That was on with Joe Martin and stuff, wasn't it? Um, so that was set up there. And then there was a concern that we might never hear from it again, you know, that it might not have an impact on this season. Instead, it turns out to be a fundamental part of mm-hmm. this season. So Chibnall clearly is not letting it go. And in fact, has dug in deeper. And so, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's inevitable that this season plus... Is it two specials after this that three, he's doing? Three. Oh, wow. But right. one, okay, of them, so... one of them within like three weeks of the final episode of Flux, which is why it right. would seem hard to not be connected in some way since it's so right, but approximate I think, time-wise. But I think all three of them will be. That's what I'm, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Like, I, I agree with you that I think the, the immediate danger, as it were, of Flux, uh, you know, the immediate sort of adventure uh living under that subtitle will be resolved by the end of this season but the larger questions of the division the doctor's history all that sort of stuff that will just run through all of those specials and presumably culminate and you know be sort of resolved at the end of the final special and maybe we'll get a regeneration or maybe we won't maybe that will be in the first episode of the the Russell T Davis uh revival as it were but i think that that whole business of the division will go right the way through the rest of Jim Knoll's run. And then the question is whether Russell T. Davis keeps it or not. Right. <laughs> That's a much larger question. I, I I wonder how, I mean, we'll never know how he's feeling about this, but it does seem a bit of a poison chalice, doesn't it? You know, to, I mean, to who? To, 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 to RTD. To, to RTD. I, I don't know. I mean, Davis and Chibnall are old, old colleagues and friends. I have a real hard time believing that they're not 
sort of back channeling about this and the you know whether i mean and i'm not saying that davis necessarily would feel obligated to keep everything that chibnall was doing but if he doesn't i i i mean i don't know i don't know either of them but i have a hard time believing that there would be any malice involved in it you know oh no i don't think there would be malice but but i just think uh i wonder you know inheriting uh inheriting the show back with so much extra baggage to it so many potentially extra lives oh sure but it, he would have no one sorry what i'm trying to say is that i think he would have known that at the point when they were making the pitch to take over doctor who again he must have known what Juno was planning and you know, if nothing else, he could have just picked up the phone and said, "Chris, what are you doing?" Yeah, yeah. Also, I would imagine that there, uh, although the the first two specials for next year were, I think, essentially episodes of the season order that they got they truncated and turned into specials, a six part right, story, yeah. and then two specials, and they tacked on a third, which is for the cent- centennial of the BBC. They say that's part of that funding perhaps <laughs> however they made it happen that's what it's going to be and it'll be released in the fall for the centennial of bbc that one strikes me as being not only the wrap-up of the era but uh timing wise i suspect that's the episode where at the very least uh chris chibnall and russell t davis uh, had that conversation that is famous when it happens in doctor who showrunner circles which is where would you like me to to leave it parked or, you know, or where are you going to leave it parked and can you do it in this way? Because I know where I go from here. And I would imagine that at, at least in that episode, it will end somewhere where uh, Russell T Davis feels uh, confident in being able to pick it up. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would think he might be excited about the, the possibility of, um, you could look at this as, oh, as closing doors so, or just yeah. blowing the, blowing the story possibilities open by, by changing the backstory like this. I don't know. Also, it's time yeah, and space I mean, and things, so things may get wiped out and rewritten it, and who knows it, what by the time it's all done. Well, and that would be the way that he could just ignore it all if he wanted to. <laughs> but I agree with you. I think surely RTD, being the sort of writer that he is, and you know, given what we know because we saw it of his previous run on Who, I think surely he's going to be excited by the possibilities. Mm. And even if he doesn't keep everything, you know, just like he did with the canon in the original reboot, he may well pick and choose the bits that he wants to keep. That'll be fascinating to see. Um, anyway, uh, Village of the Angels, which we're here yeah, to talk about. Yeah, the episode. Very, very, so, well, I, I think talking about Bell and Vinder and, and, and having it all be in there is about right, because the rest of this, although flux-adjacent, is a and i will say maxine anderton is co-writer of this episode with chibnall the only writer not chris chibnall on these six episodes i don't know for a fact but it feels like there was originally a larger season plan with flux as the story arc they changed their plans they collapsed it down and most of the episodes that they had commissioned fell out, but that this one didn't. And, uh, you know, that may or may not be true. I don't know, but it just feels that way. But uh, it does feel like a standalone episode. It is a spooky Weeping Angels episode with some some twists on the Weeping Angels. What, because the, the leaving Flux aside for a moment, the plot here is basically that there's this village that everybody disappeared from maybe twice <laughs> and what is it and why is it there and and why are there 
uh, angels sending people from one time frame in 1967 back to 1901. And, you know, what, what is this all about? And so we meet, we meet Claire who we actually met before, but she said, Oh, you haven't met me yet in the, in the present day. Um, and she is there with a scientist, professor Jericho, who is a, a sort of like an ESP ologist kind of guy who has got her wired up to like a lie detector, um, and and uh, she's having visions of the TARDIS and of weeping angels, and uh, there's a, a missing girl in the town, and of course there are angels about, and and it is this, and and there is then an assault. The Doctor arrives, her companions get thrown back in time by the weeping angels, which was kind of cool, and you know it it isn't always just Amy and Rory, uh, other people get sent back in time too, and it, and it culminates in the Doctor ending up at the house with the 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 uh, the professor and Claire, and they're uh, it's a base under siege by angels, and they're trying to lock the doors, and they escape through a tunnel, um, and it's it's claustrophobic and creepy, and and it's got that late sixties kind of art direction vibe, which I really like, and. Uh, and so as a, I think it really is an amazing piece of work as a standalone episode. And then there is the flux thing on top of it, but just as a, it's just so much activity and action and creep outs and weird things and playing with the weeping angels, you know, weeping angels can tend to be kind of one note. And I felt like this episode did a really good job of playing those notes in a bunch of different ways. It, it it does feel very much like a 2010 episode of the show in some ways. Um, in the yeah, you're right. It sort of works well as a standalone, even though it's part of the larger arc. The other thing that uh, Maxine Anderson, well, what she's best known for actually prior to this is writing soaps, and one of the things that, that British soaps do really really well is impart a lot of exposition in a very, very short space of time. Like, because each episode of a British soap is normally 30 minutes, with commercial breaks sometimes, um, uh, featuring anything up to, like, 20 characters. So each of them gets a tiny amount of screen time. And so soap writers get very, very good at having those really tiny bits of character and the really short scenes that still tell you a lot. And I feel like you could really see that coming across in this episode there's a lot happening there are a lot of scenes there's a lot of exposition a lot of it is to do with the angels as you said and yet and not all of it stands up to logical scrutiny let's be honest but it is all delivered and you can understand everything that's happening at no point during this episode was i confused about what exactly was going on which i can't honestly say about every episode so far in this uh, season, but th- this one I knew at every point exactly what was happening, what the stakes were, and you know what the plan was, and that was—I mean—that's really commendable in an episode where there's so much happening. Yeah, and I'd say also that um, it did a really good job of making the angels scary again, mm. because they have—I mean, the thing is, because they're the big breakout of of breakout villain of, of modern who we you know we tend to think of them as being sort of slightly overused but i mean we haven't actually seen an angel story since what the angels take manhattan oh wow is uh, it been that long yeah so. and and that they were not scary in that that even went to the point with uh, with the statue of liberty yes. thing of them being a bit oh, goofy gotcha. ghostbusters 2 ending yes <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so so 
this time, this time they've actually managed to make them creepy again. Uh, all these little things. I mean, I, I, the the bit where they're walking through the sort of tunnel, and there's angel arms oh. coming out of. Uh, mm. I mean, that's proper viscerally scary. Well, and the burning angel. Oh yeah. yeah, the angel on fire. That was so good. Partly because what, like, what a great image, but also the doctor's reaction of like, great, made it worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Let's throw some water on that. Yeah, and the um, the, also the idea of playing with the idea that they're they're the stone statues, so they're sort of like, oh, they're coming out of the stone in this in this graveyard. They're it's all made of stone, and this is all you know. This is their way of getting. Uh, getting here in order to do this and right almost as if their spaceships are like borg ships but rocks yeah <laughs> yeah and then the idea i think overarching like they're playing the notes playing the greatest hits um is this idea that they have a plan right which is not when they're a force of nature they're just eating right they're just sending people back in time and the, the point is that they're they're eating and we have to pay with our time shift of our lives um but here they are on a mission it turns out literally they are on a mission and then we also have the uh, renegade angel who is inhabiting claire who has so now we've got like a an angel as a character who is and they've done that before in the in the um the two-parter uh early on in mass matt smith era uh, the second time that the angels appeared, they, there's a, uh, a dead soldier who speaks with the voice of an angel. So it's been done before, but it's very creepy to have somebody conveying uh, a, a single angel's opinion <laughs> about something. And then on top of that, um, honestly, the just the from an imagery standpoint, having the lights flashing and the angel hopping around, clearly piloting the TARDIS... Yeah. It's just such a it's such a great set of images of like what am I seeing here? This is a weeping angel zipping around the TARDIS, obviously flying it in between flashes. Uh, that 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 adds that whole other layer. And obviously, yes, there is actually something that they're up to here, and it's very bad for the Doctor in the end. But uh, and we learn that the reason this village is is sort of sectioned off in this kind of surreal like sectioned off from the rest of reality is because they want to basically like bottle it up so that they can get who they're trying to get, which we think is going to be the renegade angel, but it turns out is the doctor. Um, But like it is, I think, I think the angels are way more effective, not only when they're set up, given little set pieces like the, the, the fire and, and the, the cave in order for their traits to be kind of brought out, but also the idea that they have, they're not just moving. They're not just a tornado. They they have a purpose. They're intelligent and they're actually working against you. That's really scary, right? I mean, it's they're scary enough without them having a plan. Yeah, I, I yeah. think there are going to be a lot of young who viewers in the UK tonight who have nightmares, yeah. <laughs> especially Works given the last scene. Well, get, right, given yeah. the last image of the Doctor. Like, oh my, yeah, I can just imagine yeah. lots of 10-year-olds being very, very scared by that and not having a good night's sleep. And yeah, that's exactly, that's what we loved about Who when we were kids. Yeah. It's um, not a bad thing at all. It's, uh, yeah, it, such a, as you say, it played with things so well and made the angels scary again. Um which yeah you're right they they haven't been for a while but it did it as you say in a way that you know they've kind of more than they're just a force of nature with having a plan i don't know it, it i didn't realize it had been so long since we'd last seen them but that speaks to what you were saying uh Hammond, that 
yeah, they feel overused even though they're not. And that's maybe just because they're so new to us. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what it is. I think, I mean, they, they've appeared in sort of like frames. Cameos, let's say you've yeah. seen little mm. cameos, and I think that. But I think the actual last time they were on screen properly was at the end of class. Oh wow! Yeah, huh? yeah. Have we had one speak to somebody in their own voice before, like this one does to the doctor, uh, the professor? Sorry, I should say. Uh, yes, the professor. No, I don't. Th- think no. so although there is i mean they're definitely they went back to some of the the less known or less remembered traits like the image of an angel is an angel which right. also yeah, comes from that and, crash yeah. of the byzantium you know that two-parter with amy and rory um or with that's without rory that's just amy and and matt smith uh the um that which I, I love that uh, that two part episode and that's the one where it kills a soldier and talks with its voice and also it Amy sees it on the screen and it tries to come through and she gets the yeah. the the stone in her eye the sand in her eye but I don't think it speaks to Amy with her own voice which is an interesting an interesting thing right the idea that it is trying to pray and i love those scenes right because that is sort of a cliche sort of scene of like i know all of your weaknesses and i will speak to you and i'll talk you into doing this thing and the professor's like no <laughs> yeah no you he, don't yeah. he's introduced as being seeing some horrible things uh in the he, he went into the camps in world war ii right and so and he stands up for himself he is not a doddering silly old professor he doesn't buy what they're trying to sell him i love that because that kind of character usually doesn't get to do that and he knows how to swing a cricket bat <laughs> <laughs> good moment another good moment <laughs> that was a really good like, the TV. just a lovely set piece yeah with a cricket bat of all things <laughs> i just remembered something else you mentioned about the angel uh piloting the tardis made me think uh there seem a lot of people this season and maybe this speaks to that speculation you were talking about earlier. A lot of people seem to know what a TARDIS is and how yes. a TARDIS functions. And I'm kind of, and maybe maybe somebody else has already kind of hinted at this. I don't know. But I'm suddenly thinking, hang on a minute, do TARDISes predate the Time Lords? Like, do TARDISes come from the Division and not the not Gallifrey? I don't think that's been explicitly hinted at, but I'm kind of getting this impression that maybe that's what they're driving at here. But the interesting thing there is, I mean, Division up to this point, we have thought of it as a Time Lord thing because of um, the last year's finale and because of Fugitive of the Jadoon. But Mm -hmm. in this this season... This season's very much much setting it up that it's more than just Time Lords. Exactly. We have the Lupari, we have the Weeping Angel uh, that said it worked for Division. And... Even in Fugitive of the Jadoon, the Time Lord who is after the Fugitive Doctor is not on a TARDIS. Right. She's with the Jadoon and Gat. She's with the Jadoon. Gat, yeah. Yeah. She's using the Jadoon. I I was going to – I have this on my notes at the very end. It was something that struck me when they start talking at the end about division. And that's another thing that that, that they've gone back and forth on how it's referred to, the division or division. With or without the definite article. Yeah, I noticed that. My wild theory here – and this is wild enough that I'm going to share it and not be afraid that I'm spoiling anything. But my wild theory with no knowledge, just speculation, is that the reason that it's playing with the division and division is that maybe – Division is literally a division between, and I'm going to come back to my, you know, my broader wild theory, which is we saw the origin of the timeless child as being a, a basically a gap from another universe. 
And remember last week, the doctor oh. had that one brief flash where she's talking to that lady who seems to know an awful lot while she's working on her plants about mm-hmm. what's going on and basically says, you know, you're getting in the way and this isn't going to go well and this universe is over and we just need to have it end. And so I'm sort of slowly building this theory in my mind about how this is about more than just the Time Lords and whether it's sort of an origin of or whether it's a battle with or it predates them that it has something to do with um, a division between perhaps our universe and another universe or something like that. I don't, mm. I honestly don't know, but the idea that it's not just the Time Lords, but the Weeping Angels who have a, a time travel component, right? That uh, that they're all kind of mixed up in this together. The kind of marvelous retcon that maybe the Weeping Angels are working for the division or the Time Lords or something like that and have been all along. That's wild. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing, though. The one thing that Chibnall seems to really want to do is uh, quietly, in the process of his stories, clean up continuity glitches. I mean, the whole timeless child thing kind of uh, makes uh, the Morbius doctors right. canon, yep. doesn't mm, it? Yeah. Um, and we saw them even in even in that that montage at the end of at the end of uh, the finale last year. Mm-hmm. If you remember the end of time when Rassilon appears uh, to the master, and basically Gallifrey is coming through, uh, and there's just the master and the doctor in uh, there. He has two Time Lords uh, right. down on their knees, covering their faces, and he refers to them as Weeping Angels. Hmm. Oh. He says, the, the weeping, the, the, these two, the Weeping Angels of, of yore, or whatever. And I, I just wonder, I mean, them being, a, you know, it, it's the kind of thing that them being um, quantum locked and having a time travel component I just wonder if that's something, if, if this is a knot that he's trying to tie. Well, and I'll you point out that, that right. in that same scene, there's the woman who's never identified, who, you know, Resultivus apparently th- intended to be the doctor's mother, but she's never yep. identified. And I'm not saying that the, that the lady in the garden who was mysterious last week was the doctor's mother. I'm just going to say, because I don't know if I believe that, but I am going to say it's another mysterious lady. And I'm like, <laughs> are, are we going to be linking up these various mysterious ladies who know a little bit much, but don't tell us who they are? I don't, I, I, I think that they're, I, I, I don't know if any of these theories is right, but I think this is the level that the story is playing on and that it will, it is playing with more fundamentals of sort of what the premise of, of the show is and what the story of the character is. It's not just, oh, we've got to save the universe. Yeah. It's saving the universe is actually a colossal battle that is fundamental to Doctor Who that you didn't know existed. The bat- What was the hilarious line last week? Brilliant, but hilarious, which is basically like space has always wanted to destroy time or time has always yeah. wanted to destroy <laughs> yeah. like, What? Uh, I think that's the, that is truly the level that, that this season is, is playing on. And I'm here for it. I'm here for that. <laughs> Yeah, it is playing with those big concepts for sure. I mean, this is the danger that you, the risk that you run when you have people in charge of a show who are fans of the show, you know, who grew up as fans of the show. And one of the things, now I had my problems with RTD's original run, but one of the things I liked about it was that he resisted a lot of that temptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there were Agreed. a lot more, there was a lot more continuity cleaning, if you like, and sort of canon worship that he well, could easily have done that he clearly didn't do because he was conscious of not right. alienating the, the time war audience. itself was not really meant to be a story point. It was really meant to just sideline Gallifrey so we didn't have to deal with stories right. involving 
Gallifrey. Yeah. Um, so, as I say, I liked that about his run. And then since Moffat and now Chibnall, we've gotten sort of increasingly, as yeah. you said, you know, let's tie up these continuity knots. Let's figure out who third stormtrooper on the left was and give him a backstory. It's that kind of, le- it's well, it's not that kind of level yet, but I worry that it's getting to that kind of level, you know, and I don't think that's necessarily great for the health of the show as a whole like i say i'm enjoying i'm not a massive who nerd i mean here i am podcasting at half 11 at night you know about but i know but i'm not a massive who nerd like many other people don't get me wrong i i love who but i don't know it in the way that many people including both of you do um but nevertheless i'm enjoying this series like i said a lot uh, knowing that it is dealing with bigger issues, but not necessarily seeing all those points where it connects. At the moment, it's doing a good job, I think, of right. making it feel big without you, without the viewer needing to know all the details of what it's talking about. Other and than the I existence, hope that the it, existence of Joe Martin last year, right, was sort well, of sure, a, sure, but that was already there last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. What I'm talking about is stuff from ten years ago, sure. or even twenty or thirty or forty sure. years ago. Um, and as long as it continues to maintain that balance, then yeah, I love it, and I'm here for it. If it starts tipping over into, by the way, do you remember when Tom Baker was the doctor and there was this obscure, like, no, 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 that's a mistake. And I really hope they don't do that. Well, I think the whole, the whole timeless child uh, story, the whole, the whole idea does have the potential to be Chris Chibnall's way of explaining why William Hartnell wasn't particularly heroic for about a season and a half. Well, or how he had a daughter. Yeah. And I, I <laughs> well, yeah, any of that. But it's sort of he 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 got he got uh, you know the doctor was the way we know the doctor to be, and then got mind wiped and lit, right, grew up right. on Gallifrey, and then was an irascible old man for a while until some at some point around the Ben and Polly era he remembered he was a hero. I, don't know. I, I do believe. Um, the way you described it there, I think that is the thought process that often generates stories from the minds of Stephen Moffat and Chris Chibnall and maybe Russell yeah. Davis too, but definitely them, which is it's not that they want to do a story about Ben and Polly or the Morbius doctors or anything like that. It's that they're, they're noodling around and they're like, what, why would that, why would that have been that way? And then you're like, you know, well, what if, and, and then it leads down a path where all of a sudden Chris Chibnall's like, what if... The doctor lived like first off, we're way past thirteen regenerations now. Mm. So, what if the doctor is more of an eternal figure and really had all sorts of lives? Well, how would that work with continuity? And the continuity becomes almost a challenge to t- to tell a story that can override it. Um, but I don't think the idea is to fix or cite the continuity as much as it is sort of a prompt to create something new that that gets layered because all of these shows that are long running like this are are these uh, assemblages they're like a a bricolage they're just like a beaver dam they're one thing on top of another and i I, again my gut feeling is that when he hands the keys to russell t davis there will if not a reset there will be a new status quo that they're all kind of happy with that doesn't require you to know all of the history of swarm and the division and all of those things that's enough for per you know a doctor and a tardis and adventures and then you walk away Way. But uh, I do think that um, 
I, I think it's not applauded enough that Russell T. Davis tried to make the show accessible in 2005. He knew he had to because he knew he had very few mm. people who were going to watch it unless it was accept, uh, accessible. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I do think this season, it's good to hear you say that, Anthony, because my concern has been that this season is a pitched a little bit too much for me. <laughs> and although I'm enjoying it, <laughs> it may be a pitched a little bit too much above uh, a, a, a general audience. But maybe that's not the case and maybe but, it doesn't matter because that's not what well, a modern audience is i mean i think there's enough explanation for for people who are just coming in blind exactly yeah but the the one thing i mean just just expand on on what you're saying though there jason the one thing that really worries me and i i will admit i was not worried about this until i happened upon a, a, an op-ed in um den of geek this week uh and where it was saying, oh, doesn't this storyline look to you like something along the lines of DC's Crisis on Infinite Earths? And I kind of went, no, you're not, no, no. But it's been <laughs> playing in the back of my head now that what if they really are clearing the decks and the RTD2, as they're calling it, is um, is literally like post the post-crisis DCU or even the new 52 DCU. Where suddenly, uh, you know, there's the Doctor. You don't need to know about any regenerations because right. nobody knows about any of them and all of the other characters and all of the continuity. Big operatic crescendo and then end. Yeah. And now we begin yeah. again. I, I still am not convinced that Russell T. Davis is going to come out and say it's series one. Um, no. <laughs> although I think Chris Chibnall tried to do that. I think Steve Moffat also tried to do that. Nobody <laughs> Moffat <accepted>. definitely <laughs> did, yeah. Uh, Moffat definitely did. <laughs> but I do I – do, suspect that Chris Gibnall is a good enough sort of Doctor Who uh citizen that he's going to he's going to give uh their you know there's going to be a a status quo that is yeah. a good place to I mean, to begin from I I don't think that would be a bad idea honestly I I well here's the thing like I uh, believe me I'm I, comics is one thing I do know and yeah. the reason crisis is you know is looked back upon when everybody just face palms is because they didn't have the courage of their convictions and they keep retconning it and changing mm. it and like going oh well maybe crisis didn't happen or oh actually let's bring back all the things we had before crisis if they'd kept the courage of their convictions it would have been a lot more successful. And I, if they did that, this with who, with RTD, so long as they kept to the courage of their convictions, I think it could work. I think, look, let's face it, if anybody could make it work and sell it to the public, because that's an important part of making something like that work, it's Russell T. Davis. I don't think there's any question about that. He is uniquely qualified to both pull it off and sell it to the public at large as a good idea. Will they do it? I mean, I don't know. I'm not necessarily making a bet here, but I will say I don't think it's necessarily a terrible idea. It's just, uh, I mean, there's, there's reason, Russell D. Davis had the opportunity to reboot the show and he made it a, a, a soft reboot or a soft reset where all the continuity was in place. That's sort of what I expect is that all of these things will have happened, but we're not going to talk about them anymore. And, but ironically, I think of- it, I think it would have been more difficult to do that in 2005 than it is now. Because in 2005, it had been off the air for how many years? Was it like 12, 13 years or something? Um, and it coming back over here, you have to, the UK media in particular, it coming, it was a huge deal. And it was, if it hadn't been, 
if they had tried to jettison all the old Doctor Who stuff, it would have been slated in the press because all the people mm. like me who grew up watching Classic Who were now writing in the press. Right. We were the ones writing the reviews for the media and writing the TV columns and what have you. And I genuinely think it would have been absolutely slaughtered because of the, you know, the sheer temerity of who does this guy think he is and all that sort of thing. Whereas now, because it's still around and you wouldn't be looking at a 10 year gap or whatever, I actually think it would be easier to pull that off. Because it's still fresh in people's minds and they go, yeah, okay, we're just doing like a full reset now, fine. But we've already, everybody's still got the memories of who for the last, what is it now, like 16 years. 16 years, their, but I, I yeah, think it's minds. the 16 years that would make it harder because the show didn't go away. And so people have grown up, you know, the current fandom is not sort of old timers like me really it's people who grew up like people like people like my son who's 16 and grew up watching. right but i i think that generation is a lot more amenable to reboots and hard resets and alternate versions of things just look at the you know all the reboots we've had of spider-man in the last 15 years I, yeah <laughs> but, you know but, the, how many times again... do you see new batman versions and that sort of thing i don't know i maybe i'm wrong but my instinct is that that younger generation is a lot more comfortable with reboots and alternate i don't versions i don't know franchises part of franchises currency is continuity and you just have to look to something like Star Trek, where they've created their movie continuity, and then for TV they're like, "Well, no, we're not. We can't do that. We're going to go back to the continuity that. again." <laughs> and, and otherwise, you're building new continuity, which is why I keep thinking that what you really want is a reset in what the format is, and that is what Russell yeah. T. Davis did with the, especially with the Time War, and that's True. why I yeah. keep thinking that's kind of what we're going to end up with is the doc. It'll still be the Doctor. It'll still be the Doctor with companions and a TARDIS, but the backstory of the doctor may be different it may be simplified it may be altered in some way um, i keep thinking that the end result of this in in a nutshell is going to be that it turns out the doctor isn't just the protector of the earth the doctor is the protector of this universe and yeah. she yeah. he they were sent here from another universe and they're the reason it still exists and it's their job to protect it and that's the show because that's sort of implied by <laughs> by what's happened in Flux so far. And if if it's that simple, which is eternal being sent here from another universe to protect ours, um, keeps changing its face, but is always here to save us. Um, that's Doctor Who, right? Even if the details are a little different, still Doctor Who, and we can still understand it. And that that's probably enough. True. Um, that's true enough. Any other yeah. thoughts about about uh, the village of the angels? I mean, again, I don't have a lot of specifics here other than to say it was so much fun and 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 a wild ride. And there are a couple questions I have afterward about sort of like, well, why was that that way? And, and, like that, I can't really answer until the the story is over. But exactly. it was a, an incredibly yeah. fun hour of entertainment. I agree. Yeah, it occurs to me that we haven't actually spent a lot of this time <laughs> talking about the episode that we're supposed to be talking about. But that's because, yeah, there's not really a lot to say. It was a really good, fun episode with some good performances, some lovely set pieces. It was well designed. It was well shot. It looked nice. It fitted into everything. All the characters behaved like, you know, themselves. Yeah, as you say, there's not a lot to say other than, yeah, it was really good. There was that nice old lady who turns out to be the little girl, which I think you probably could have charted that I one think out. We all kind of saw that one yeah. coming, yeah. <laughs> but it's still fun. It's not- <laughs> I, I, I do have questions about how um, if the angels touch you twice, you turn to stone and die. Yeah. That, that, that's, yeah, that's new. Yeah. That's new. Well, I I'm think pretty that- sure that didn't happen to Amy and Rory. 
Well, they but they only they only got touched the one time, right? And then they had to live forward. Um, although I do have that question about um, uh, about our our companions about uh, Yaz and Dan because they were sent back, and there's a question of like, well, can can you cheat and put them in the TARDIS? Um, I, I guess so. But uh, you know, do, but if is you there can, time... then why didn't you do that with Rory and Amy? Well, because it, it was because it was fixed time. Fixed because his yeah, his, his their gravestones appear. Yeah, that Ooh. was that's the idea. No, once no, you, no. I remember. It's, but it's like I, once I, you I, know I, that they lived through it, then you can't change it. But if you aren't aware, it's a it's a again, time travel is ridiculous. But um, <laughs> it's like your knowledge that they did they did live the lives means they lived them, and so you can't go back and change them. That fixes but it. I, yeah, I had a yeah. I had a moment. I was actually disappointed when those that that elderlyish couple crumbles to stone um although it does set the stakes that that's what happens if they touch you twice um i was thinking it would be kind of funny if there was an angel story where you just the angels create this like pyramid scheme where they keep sending people further back and then they feed on them and they go further back and they feed on them and they go further back and they just send you all the way like stop by stop uh backward but it turns out you can't get that much time energy out of somebody they just crumble Oh, well. Yeah, because they wouldn't actually, yeah, if they could do that, they wouldn't need to go around and hunt, would they? They could just use the same people over yeah. and over They and build over like, a, a, like a factory <laughs> in different time frames and send everybody backward. Um, so that, they or, could it, or could it be like that old Buffy, Buffy storyline where um, vampire, the vampire sort of prostitutes almost who get paid for feeding off uh, people right. who are I mean, curious. You and set then, up a storefront and, so, and say, so, "Would you like to live in the past? Come on by, yeah. Angel yeah. Incorporated." <laughs> oh, not that I mean, angel, give, different angel. Well, not that angel. We'll just put a picture of, of David Boreanaz up, and they'll think it's that angel. <laughs> it's not that angel. Given the popularity of reality shows over here that like bafflingly make people live like they lived in the past for a month yeah. at a time, uh, which I've never quite understood, but they are quite popular apparently. Um, yeah. <laughs> here's my here's my angel story pitch for a future Doctor Who is, you know, the, uh, although they kind of did this on Loki, but uh, here's my twist on it, which is Loki was about uh, hiding in apocalypses. Well, who better to set up shop at an apocalypse than the angels? Because at the, at the moment that the planet's going to be destroyed, you can send everybody back in time. Oh, everybody's going to die anyway. Everybody like, wants yeah. to go. Yeah. Everybody wants to go back in time so that they don't die in the apocalypse. And you get to eat all that time energy. It's great. That's probably what all the lazy angels are doing. <laughs> and it's only the angels working for the division that are actually putting in an effort. Uh, anyway, that's my, that's my new decision about the angels. Somebody call me. <laughs> don't My call, little angel don't, story. Don't call us. We'll call no. you. <laughs> no, that's probably not a, not a good idea. Russell, don't call me. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, this right, was well, a fun episode. Well, what could, it what was, but while we're on that subject then, should, okay, let's go to these theories. So what's this? I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, we're at the end of the episode now. Okay, so like, can, if like me, you've been in a media blackout, stop listening. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. I, <laughs> there's no, nobody knows for sure, but this is. I, I will now say we're in Conspiracy Corner. Uh, yeah. If you don't want to be in Conspiracy Corner, come back next week. The conspiracy theory is that Belle and Vinder, because Belle is pregnant, are the doctor's parents. Uh, which I am hoping that everything is not true. I don't want I it to just be true. Don't want it to be true. In part, part it's the it's the law of conservation of characters. Like, oh, she's pregnant. They're like, well, which one of the very specific set of characters must be the baby? 
a little bit like River Song, actually. Um, it's like, <laughs> do, does that really need to be? Does everybody who's pregnant in a TV show have to that involves time travel have well, to be uh, carrying the baby of some character we've already met? Does that really have characters. to be? I mean, the other thing it would do also is kind of spoil what your theory about the division of the universe is and all that sort of thing. Well, and I think that's maybe stronger. So yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, they, they are playing enough with the fact that Vendor knows what a TARDIS is. That's sort of like, is mm. there, I, I think the scenario would be that the do, that the baby is born and that something about this universe, they basically, they basically have to pass the baby through. And that could be your reset button as well, which is the baby passes through to a new universe and is found by Tectayun. And it's like, oh, wait a second. It's a cycle. And now the baby begins its life again. And it's the doctor. Um, I don't know. But that's a whole nother universe. I again, don't, isn't it? So, I, know. Yeah, I don't know. So this is why I don't really love this idea. Uh, and it seems really messy. Uh, and I don't want it to be true. And I'm really concerned because it feels like it would be something that might be done. And I don't like it. <laughs> it's just to me also, I mean, firstly, I don't think we, we should ever know who the doctor's parents are or the doctor's name or any of these things. We should just shouldn't. This should be a mystery, I think. But secondly, it's just too much like River Song, isn't it? Yeah, I like the idea. Honestly, I think one of my favorite things that that Chris Chibnall has done is say, you know, you know, the secret origin of the Doctor. The Doctor was dropped in this universe through a, a an unknowable void from somewhere yeah. else, and has this ability to regenerate forever, and was found by the Time Lords, and is the root of Time Lord culture. But we don't know anything about where she came from, and we never will because that was a different universe at a different time. Like I kind of I kind of really dig that because it's it's the it's saying that, the yeah. Doctor's origin is unknowable. And yeah. eternal. Right. No, not just unknown, but literally unknowable. Yeah. You cannot I, learn it. I kind of yeah. like that. <laughs> but see, it's inter- that's interesting because I, I do too. I mean, it's something that I that I, I really like that. But again, I was saying, you know, my, my, my son is, is a fan as well. He, he and I are doing the, the pilgrimage together at ah. the moment. Um, he doesn't like it because what he says is, well, you know uh, – I don't really like the idea of the Doctor being some kind of sort of special messiah type mm. type figure. It, the Doctor <laughs> is just somebody who uh, dropped out and went around, you know. Unfortunately, that's that's modern Who, isn't yeah, it? I, mean, I think it, yeah, is. it is. Pretty much ever since the RTD, I get reboot, the argument, but I feel like that, that is basically who the Doctor is now: is this eternal being who saves people, um, and not just a cosmic hobo who chances into saving people. Um, yeah. Partially, Which also, if you run a show for fifty was, or sixty yeah. years, at some point, yeah. it's just the utter accumulation of story. You say, "Oh, it turns out <laughs> yeah. no, that this is an eternal." The only explanation is that this is an eternal being who just saves people. Otherwise, what are we still doing here? Yeah, it's um, yeah. The, the thing about the parents as well. Yeah. It's it it's a long standing kind of not rule exactly, but, you know, rule of thumb in children's fiction, particularly that like 99% of uh, protagonists in children's fiction are orphans or if not literally orphans, effectively orphans, you know, in practical, practically speaking. And the reason for that is because it means it removes the possibility of them running to mommy and daddy to solve their problems. They have to stand on their own to feet. They have to solve the problems themselves. And I hope I'm with you. I I hope that they remember that. And I know Dot Who isn't strictly a children's show, but nevertheless, yeah, knowing who the Doctor's parents were, stroke, are, removes so much of the mystery 
and also raises lots of questions about why didn't the Doctor do this? Uh, you know, unless they literally give birth to her and oh, are then immediately no. killed. And I re- that's another thing I, that I really I actually, hope they don't do. So. I, have a, I have a terrible idea that just popped into my head, which is <laughs> I'm going to share now, and this is not something I've heard from anyone else. This is my own little theory, so I'm going to throw it out here now, which is, okay, there is, there is a fan theory that in that uh, in the episode where we see, uh, last week's episode, we see um, a flashback to Joe Martin's doctor um, mm-hmm. in their assault on the Temple of Atropos, which gets rid of uh, uh, Swarm and Azure for a while. Um, and we see that all the characters in that and all the other flashbacks in that episode are our characters, um, and occasionally there's a flicker of like, oh, you know, it's not actually Yaz, it's the general who is Vinder's boss, whatever, yeah. right? And so obviously Yaz and Dan and Vinder are her team on uh, the temple, the, the planet Time. There is a fan theory that this is actually a trick and that while Yaz and Dan weren't there, that Vinder is Vinder and that he actually is in the division and I th- and and I think that's an interesting idea that that's why he knows what the Tardises are is that Vinder is actually involved in the division in some way, and that leads me to this bananas theory that I'm just going to drop right now, which is what if they're the Master's parents? Oh, oh. just saying. Oh, I don't know. That, that would be more interesting. It would I think. be right. I, I mean, the <laughs> idea that Vinder that this uh, organization Vinder's working as been working for is the division had popped into my head as well right uh when he was being sort of you know given promotion and working for that terrible person who is back next week yes incidentally uh i noticed like threatening the earth it would seem yeah um Thre- threatening so, uh threatening um uh kate stewart <laughs> right but that's right but but that's kind of what i meant well, about this whole meta thing of right. like you know do tardis's predate gallifrey are they actually a, a, a device of the division it's yeah i think that's more fuel to that fire really all right well you heard it here first if it's the master's parents then i win I'm just saying. <laughs> we all well, lose well, but i win well, while we're while we're on uh while we're talking about that and i know we're going back to an episode we've, that has already been covered on the flashcast but what do you make of it being the temple of atropos because that means nothing to me I mean, it's well, Atropos the, it's is the, one of the fates. The fates, right? The planet uh, of time, in, in, the temple in, in of Greek mythology, In Greek mythology, and, and the name means inflexible or unalterable. It was Atropos who made basically um, her sisters, the two other fates, decisions unalterable. Oh, oh! I didn't know that. I, I'm not really up on my Greek much of my Greek mythology. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I if. I mean, it's a it's a great name to use on the planet of time, the Temple of Atropos, and I, I do wonder if that's all because we don't know anything about the the Mori who are in, who are controlling sort of like and weaving the web of time and space or whatever it is, and I feel like that will ultimately be something that gets dealt with. Only two episodes left, so they're going to have to deal with it pretty fast. But it does. That's part of what makes me think there's going to be a new sort of status quo. Is it seems like the show kind of wants to explain the origin of the universe or the origin of time travel and that this is 
a, a part of it, and maybe the origin of the Time Lords, and this is a part of it that we haven't seen before, of like, why mm. is it that time and space work the way they do in our universe, and that is, allows a show like Doctor Who to happen? I think that, that beyond that, I don't know if it actually has specific meaning, or if it's just that it's trying to get across this whole idea of of time and space and fate, and, and they're all intertwined. Um, I don't know... My, my- you feel free to have look into it for meaning, but I'm not sure it's more than just an Easter egg. It just, it just seems to me like the kind of thing that wouldn't be a, that a writer like Chris Chibnall wouldn't call that temple after one of the fates by accident. Oh, for sure not. Definitely not. Definitely not. No, not by accident, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there is more to it than just oh, it the yeah, symbolism of the name. Yeah. I, I'm with Jason that I think the the Maury stuff is going to wind up being about the, or, the origin stroke methods of time travel and the history of the Time Lords. Yeah. Well, we'll find out. This has been a fun conversation about the big picture. This is all of these flashcasts this season are like this because yeah. <laughs> it is a continuing story. We don't know the end. Um, this in particular is just a really fun, scary, wild episode that you watch and you go, wow, that was something. And I'm not sure how much deep analysis we can have. So we end up talking about the format of the season and where the series is going. And, and so uh, we did it again. It's going to keep happening. We'll do it next week with a couple new people. Um, Anthony, thank you so much for being on this podcast. You're very welcome, Jason. Thank you for having me. And yes, I apologize for rambling so much about the series as a whole rather than the episode, but that's what happens when you get a writer on a show this, like this. And <laughs> this season of all. And Human, thank yeah. you as well for staying up late and talking about Dr. Oh, no. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, and thanks to everybody out there for listening to another one of these What Does It All Mean kind of episodes of the Doctor Who Flashcast. There's more next week, so we'll be back next week with more. Doctor Who Flashcast, only in the